2015, The Meeting, Kev. In the words of Lauren Hill, it's funny how money changed the situation. Just two years ago, I was just a regular nigga from the bankhead section of Atlanta who happened to work his way up to being 2 chains personal hype man. Some people would call that a success, but there wasn't no real money in that life, though. At least not the type of dough that I wanted to be making. I had done some grimy shit by stealing the concert money, and I probably had a whole lot of people disappointed in me. But as they say, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. There was no use crying over spilled milk, so I moved on with my life. The $70,000 that I had stolen was good enough to get me into a loft in downtown Greenville, South Carolina. I picked Greenville because it was a city that was big enough to hide in while I did my thing, but small enough that I most likely wouldn't ever run into anybody that I knew from Atlanta. After learning the ins and outs of the city, I used my street smarts to start flipping some of the bread. I knew the music game pretty well, so I linked with a few of the local club promoters and became a silent partner and invested with them to book a few shows in the area. Before long, I had turned 70 racks into 120 grand, and I was living comfortably. I went and bought me a Mercedes CLS 550, which was similar to the one I had stolen from that lame-ass promoter back in Memphis. Even though I had to ditch the car that I had stolen from him after it got me where I was going, I had fallen in love with it, so it was only natural I brought my own. Making my power moves with the music promotion out in Greenville got me noticed by this OG named Pop. From day one, I liked Pop. He talked cash shit and had the cash to back it up, unlike most of the lame-ass people that I had encountered. Pop told me he liked my style and took me under his wing. He said he had plans for me that would change my life, and when a man like Pop talk, I listen. Just three weeks after meeting Pop, here I was sitting in his house. Well, actually, house was somewhat of an understatement. It was actually more like a luxurious estate. The property was 15,000 square feet and sitting on four acres of land with a fishing pond and a Grecian swimming pool equipped with a mini waterfall in the backyard. The backyard backed up to Lake Saluda, where Pop had a private dock with a boat named the Maria Rose, after his late mother. In the front yard, there was a long driveway that led to the two-car garage, which housed the Bentley Continental GT and the new BMW i8. Both of the cars were jet black with darkly tinted windows. Inside, the crib was split into two levels, with hardwood floors wall-to-wall, in each of the six bedrooms, there was a 60-inch television mounted up high onto the wall. The living room had a fish tank built into the wall and was the home to a baby shark named Tigo, who looked like he could eat a whole pack of porterhouse steaks in one bite. Pop said besides his own, that was the only mouth he had to feed, and that was the way that he liked it. In other words, Pop had no wife and no kids, and that was by choice. I still didn't understand exactly why Pop had invited me over, but looking at the other three people that he had invited, I got a feeling that they didn't know much either. Asia As I adjusted the $700 Balenciaga marble sunglasses on my face, I glanced around the room. Ugh, I mumbled under my breath. I'm petty, and I knew that I was way too cute and classy to be sitting amongst these country-ass bumpkins. 
Don't get me wrong. Cop was cool as shit, but the others that he had invited were not on my level. From the time I had met Pop last month while I was getting my oil changed up at the BMW dealership, until now, he had been the perfect gentleman. He had taken me out to eat three times and even brought me a sweet Prada clutch that I absolutely adored. I was good at reading people, but I couldn't figure out what his endgame was. He looked way too old to handle this pussy, so I knew it wasn't about that. He hadn't tried to pimp me or anything like that, which would have been stupid. Nowadays, I only got fucked when I wanted to get fucked. No exceptions. I just didn't know what Pop was up to. So I guess my curiosity was why I had agreed to come to the meeting at his mansion. But I was starting to regret it due to my company. I looked through my shades at the one they call Kev. First of all, I absolutely hated all Atlanta niggas. They were just too country for me. With the gold teeth, sagging true religions, ratchet ass neck tattoos, and nappy dreadlocks. They all looked exactly the same. Wacka flacka flame, Migos, Future, I hated them all. Even worse, the nigga Kev showed up smelling like a pound of sour diesel. Don't get me wrong, I smoke a little weed from time to time. But I covered that shit up with blunt away like a real woman should. The whole world don't need to know your business. But I guess Kev was too immature to understand that logic. Sitting across from him was the girl they called Fox. She was country too. Her dreadlocks were even longer than Kev's. She wasn't no ugly chick. But with a Derrick Rose jersey and snapback bulls hat on, I couldn't tell if she was a butch chick, a wannabe WNBA player, or a washed up struggling mixtape rapper. Fox had a black and mild tucked behind her ear and was wearing some retro Jordans. I mean, we were supposed to be at Pops for a business meeting and a brunch. How come she couldn't throw on a nice Mark Jacobs sundress and some Versace heels like me? The bitch irked my nerves already and I didn't even know her. The other nigga was Dominic. His swag was non-existent. He was swagless, completely devoid of swag altogether. If swag was a food, this nigga would be anorexic and weigh like 60 pounds. He had no style, no presence, and if I saw him on the street, I wouldn't look twice at him. The only thing Dominic had going for him was his height. Other than that, he was a complete crab. The lame was wearing cotton dockers and a button-down chap shirt. Chaps, for goodness sake. Not polo, but chaps. C-H-A-P-S. Can't have a polo shirt is what we call that back home in Brooklyn. Where they do that at? To top that off, he had on prescription eyeglasses. It's 2015. Get some contacts already, boy, was what I wanted to yell at him. But I was working on me, and part of that was doing my best to tone down my rude New Yorker attitude. Over the past two years, I had learned to blend in with the slower pace of the Southern lifestyle. Sure, I had come up from fucking with the gangsters, hustlers, dope dealers, and killers, but now I was into bigger things. I used some of the money that I stole from my ex to rent me a nice little apartment on the outskirts of Greenville. Then I bought myself a newer body style BMW and updated my wardrobe. After that, I got focused on making money instead of spending it. 
First, I brought my cousin India down from New York to stay with me. Then, with her advice, I got myself a laser printer and stocked up on the proper quality printing ink, the same kind that the government offices used. See, Crooklyn was the home of the scammers. So India showed me step by step how to print up fake government checks, and then it was on and popping. She had been doing the same thing back home, making small come-ups. But I took her hustle to the next level and started crushing the game. I put a few racks in her pocket for blessing me with the knowledge, and then my illegal business took off. I recruited all the little naive young country girls who I could find that had ambition and heart to bust down my fake checks all across the state. I had them hitting the Walmarts, the check cashing places, and even a few of the smaller branches of banks. We were literally robbing them without a gun. By the time the spots realized the checks were fakes, a few days later, my girls were long gone, with the cash in their possession. I gave each of my recruits a percentage off of every check that they successfully cashed. Around income tax time, I made like 20 grand a day, easily. In two short years, I turned the 100 grand that I had stolen from my ex-boyfriend, Baby J, into damn near a quarter mil. <laughs> Long story short, I was already definitely doing my own thing all by myself in SC. So I really didn't understand why Pop had invited me to his house with this band of bums. Fox, I had never seen no shit like Pop's crib in my entire life. My ex, Dartavius, had showed me a nice lifestyle, but Pop was rich for real. His shit reminded me of Lennox's crib on Belly. Besides just having a nice crib, Pop was sharp himself. Even though he looked like he was pushing 70, Pop was fresh as hell. He was in the kitchen finishing up the last touches on the brunch that he had prepared. In a Dolce & Cabana robe and Gucci slippers with a gold braid on his wrist, he had that smooth old man soul music playing. I think it was either Otis Redding or Curtis Mayfield. It was the type of shit my grandfather used to listen to on Saturday mornings before he went fishing. To be honest, I felt a little out of place. I was sitting between a guy named Dominique, who looked like he could be a state senator or something, and a girl named Asia, who looked like she had hopped off the TV screen straight from Love and Hip Hop or Real Housewives. I was just a girl from the next town over who had come up pulling stick-ups and stings and used the stolen money to graduate into pushing pounds and pounds of marijuana. One of the reasons I was so successful at any crime that I chose to participate in was because I had an innocent appearance. I wasn't but 5'2 and 110 pounds soaking wet. I dressed like a tomboy and I was quiet most of the time. I was so low-key. I didn't even have my own car. Plus, I looked like a little high school girl, so no one suspected that I was the biggest pot pusher in the city. That's how I met Pop. He smoked weed to supposedly help with his arthritis, and he knew I had the best quality for the cheapest price. Not too many people knew it, but I moved a few pounds a day and made roughly five grand a week in straight profit. No one could match my prices, so I had the market cornered. The local hustlers hated me, but they had no choice except to buy weed from me because they knew they couldn't sell it for as cheap as I was getting it and possibly turn a profit. It was simple business principles. I had the money to buy more weed from the plug at one time, so I could always get it for a cheaper discount due to the volume of product that I was purchasing. Then I could sell it for cheaper than any other supplier, repeat the process faster, and I was always going to come out on top. I couldn't lose. 
The only person in the room I could truly relate to was Kev. I had actually seen him around the city and had even sold him an ounce or two when I was first starting out in the weed game. I didn't know much about him, but I heard he was the person behind bringing a lot of rappers and performers to the city. Kev was making his money on the low, and I found that shit hella attractive, not to mention the dreads that hung from beneath his Atlanta Hawk snapback cap and tattooed sleeves that covered his cut-up arms were also a hell of a turn-on. He reminded me of my ex-boyfriend, Dartavius, who had been dead for two whole years now. The nigga Kev was just sexy, and I was long overdue for some dick. Truthfully, I hadn't had any since Dartavius had gotten killed. I know that sounds crazy, but I believe that when you truly love someone, it takes more than just a few months to get over them and move on to someone new. Besides, most of the niggas who hollered at me weren't on my level. I wasn't about to pick a nigga up in my car, take him back to my crib, and let him do whatever he wanted to do to my pussy. But from looking at Kev and the way he carried himself, I could tell that he had his own shit. That right there was the sexiest thing about him. I really didn't know how Pop's meeting would turn out, but I knew that after it was over, I was going to make it my business to formally introduce myself to Kevin's fine ass. For the life of me. I couldn't understand why Pop had me sitting around his dining room table for brunch with a bunch of obvious criminals. I knew Pop because we used the same credit union, the same accountant, and the same stockbroker. Of course, I'd heard the rumors that he was connected into some illegal stuff, but I thought no less of him. After all, before I had gotten into real estate, I had committed a crime. But, as we all know, according to the letter of the law, it's only a crime if you get caught. My crime was successful because I had planned it out perfectly. I had extorted four pharmacists for 20 grand apiece. Once they had paid me the 80000 I took my newfound wealth and headed straight down south to Greenville, South Carolina. I bought my first house after being in town for only three weeks, and I quickly turned that into a rental property. I used the income from that property to buy another house, which I was able to flip for a 45% profit in just a few months. From there, I acquired even more properties. My own 18-wheeler made a few moves in the market and basically got rich. Well, not as rich as Pop, but my savings account held slightly over 300000 and my credit score was 730. I'd say that I was doing pretty well for myself. I wasn't a flashy guy. I just didn't see the need to be. My 2012 Toyota Camry was great on gas, and it ran like a champ. I didn't need a bunch of cars. After all, I could only drive but one at a time. My clothes came from Old Navy, Gap, and J.C. Penney, and to me, they were just as nice as anything anyone else was wearing. I wasn't into following the latest trends. I spent my money on stuff that mattered, unlike most other young black people with money. The fact that a black man would drop $250 on a pair of Jordans every few months but won't kick out $25 a month for life insurance was exactly what was wrong with our culture, but that's a whole other story. I just couldn't stand to be around ignorance, and the three people at the table next to me were the epitome of ignorance. Two of them had dreadlocks, for goodness sake. Dreadlocks were like part of the uniform for every petty criminal that existed. The other woman, Asia, looked like a stripper who had hit the lottery last week. She had on every name brand from each Rodeo Drive boutique and was the exact reason why Caucasians marketed overpriced products in black neighborhoods. They knew that black women loved buying things that they couldn't afford. She was just so stereotypical. And more than anything, I hated women like that. As I checked my phone to see how many points my Coca-Cola stock had shot up for the day, Pop finally limped into the room carrying a tray filled with brunch. Pop was struggling to make it trying to carry the tray with one hand while he used his cane to balance his body with the other hand. On the tray, he had some raisin bagels, locks, crepes, French toast, and even Moet mimosas. As the three others salivated over the food like animals, I sat back in my chair and listened to what Pop had to say. Now before we feast, 
I wanted to explain why I invited everyone here today. First, let me say that I notice everything that goes on in my city, none of which transpires without my approval. So when I saw four young black people move into my city with a bit of money, I began watching and studying your moves. Needless to say, I like what I've seen from each of you. I have a business proposition I think will interest all of you. Explain, Pop. Look, no disrespect, Pop, but I don't really understand why you bought me here. I mean, I'm already doing my thing. I'm getting money, you feel me? Said Kev. Pop raised his bald head up so he was looking directly at Kev and then scratched his thick gray beard and laughed. Son, how many properties do you own? What are you putting away for retirement? Huh, youngster? What is your stock portfolio like? I got cash, Pops. A whole lot of cash, and that's all I need. Argued Kev as he pulled a rubber band wad of money thick enough to choke a horse out from his true religion genes to further prove his point. Think that's all you need because you don't know any better yet. But there's much more to being wealthy than just having cash. Pop explained. Kev put his money back into his pocket and humbled himself as the rest of us just looked on. Now the type of situation I'm talking about will leave each of you with enough money to feed your grandkids. But it won't be easy. Nothing in life is easy except laziness and failure. Do you understand me? Everyone in the room nodded, even Kev, who was still skeptical. The type of jobs we pull off take planning, patience, and execution. There's no room for error. Pop continued. The stuff Pop was saying sounded good, but I didn't think it applied to me. I had to speak up for myself before things went any further. Excuse me, Pop, I said. Yes, Dominic? He answered. Look, Pop, I'm not really sure if this is for me. I'm not a blue-collar criminal like y'all, I said. Once again, Pop laughed. Dominic, you don't have to be a violent man or know about the streets, but I have much need for a guy like you. The reason criminal organizations fail is because they never had a straight man. They never have a guy who can walk into the store without being followed. They never have a guy who can drive right past the cops and smile at them as he obeys every obscure traffic law there is. They never have a guy with good credit who can get approved for an unsecured loan in the blink of an eye. Trust me, as much as I need you, you need me too. As Pop continued talking and filled our heads with dreams of private jets, personal yachts, luxury vehicles, and overseas vacations, I was still wondering exactly what the whole thing was all about. Very shortly, we would all find out exactly what Pop had up his sleeve. 